So here's an interesting thing. While you are paying Derek and me to be part of the ministries of this church this week, he and I were paying to be over at First Presbyterian Church and involved in their ministries. We spent almost as much time there this week as we spent here. Feel free to call their session and ask for a rebate. We were there with Baptists and non-denominationalists, Anglicans, city staff members, and a whole bunch of Calvinists for the City Convene Conference. It was two days of hearing speakers and having conversations about how churches in Florence can help this be a better city. One of the things that impressed me, and don't tell them this because I don't think they recognized it, was how Wesleyan those speakers sounded. Like John Wesley, they talked about how the church sometimes gets the order wrong, calling people Christian before they are disciples. The problem with that is too many so-called Christians have been complacent with salvation. Too comfortable living lives that suggest, you be the disciple... I'm happy over here just being saved. One great line I heard at the conference was a response to the old evangelistic question, do you know where you you will go if you die tonight? The speaker, an evangelical Christian, mind you, said he had been influenced by a counter-question. What if you don't die tonight? Where will you go? What will you do tomorrow? You could die tonight, and we certainly want assurance of salvation for each of us. But I like his twist. Odds are you won't die tonight. And whether you do or do not is not our only concern Having eternal salvation is not our only concern. Being a follower of Jesus in this life, today, tonight, and tomorrow, is one of our most critical concerns. Jesus told a parable that speaks to this. His story about the rich man and Lazarus is not a story about asking Jesus to forgive your sins so that you can be with him in eternity. It's a story about how to spend this life with Jesus as a reflection of the eternity we anticipate. Jesus said there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasts sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. Two men One named, one not. The unnamed man, is his name Will? Or Derek? Or John? Is well dressed?
feasts sumptuously. The named man, Lazarus, which, by the way, means God has helped. He's poor, hungry, has a medical condition that stays with him until he dies. Both men die. And as they say in the cartoons, one goes up and the other goes down. What's surprising to Jesus first here is who goes up and who goes down. The rich man should have gone up. He, it would seem, had pleased God, thus his great riches. Lazarus should have gone down. He, it seems, displeased God, thus his great troubles. Instead, it's the downtrodden God helps. And the rich, indifferent one who was tormented. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed. So that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they may not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't want to be accused of doubting Father Abraham. But let's imagine what would have happened if Lazarus had been sent to the rich man's brother, if if the rich man had gotten his wish. Abraham clearly doubts that it would have done any good. Moses commanded Israel to care for the poor and the hungry and the suffering. The prophets continually called out to the people of Israel because they were not caring for people like Lazarus. Abraham just can't see how the brothers, seeing someone they had overlooked their entire lives, would change them, even if he rose from the dead. Why would seeing him now make such a difference when they were so good at not seeing him then? But what if? What if Lazarus came back, made his way to the gate? The cynic would predict that Lazarus would still be stuck there. Kept away from his mother soon enough 
hungry and ill again, another round of no compassion, the brothers not seeing the plight of those stuck outside the gate. The optimist would presume that somehow the obstacle that kept him out before would be erased. Lazarus would now enter, maybe ghost-like, get an audience with the brothers, give them their brother's warning, their message, help them have compassion. Starting to sound more like Charles Dickens than Jesus, the ghost of indifference past. How would the brothers get the message? Moses commanded. The rich man and his brothers were not motivated by you must. The prophets didn't do it. They weren't motivated by you'd better. Abraham thinks a poor man raised from the dead would be as easily ignored as he had been before he died. The rich man thinks if, he could, if they could just see Lazarus, hear his warning, hear his call to care for those they've ignored or scorned or blamed, then they'd be changed. No offense to Abraham. But I'm siding with the rich man in this story. I'm siding with him because I know a poor man who was raised from the dead, who is changing my life. I know a poor man who was raised from the dead, who is pushing me to see people I would rather overlook, rather blame, rather condemn. You know him too. His name is God with us. His ministry is ongoing. He has ways of getting our attention even when the gates are shut tight. I've been provoked lately by a book called Not Your Parents' Offering Plate. It's frustrating me with examples of people giving much larger gifts to colleges and universities and the churches they're part of. I don't doubt the stories or their explanation. But they're getting on my nerves. The universal explanation that the donors offer as to why they give considerably more money to colleges than to churches is that they are convinced that colleges can change lives. So I'm on a hunt for our story. Nothing against colleges. I'm glad for them. They have certainly been an important part of my life, positively affected it. But more so has Jesus. More so has the church. The whole reason we spent two days at our First Presbyterian Church this week was to discuss more ways that the churches in Florence can help bless our community, can change lives in Florence. Because we believe that is part of the church's calling. We spent one of those days talking about how the churches can help improve race relations. How we can see each other, hear each other, make lives better for one another. Not realizing that our conference will be bookended by two more tragic events in our nation. 
People from those same churches slept in cardboard boxes last night at South Florence High School. The wonder Nate could stand up here and read to you. He was out there all night. But they were out there because they believe, as Jesus is convincing us, as the church is teaching them, that the church has a stake in helping to eradicate homelessness. So in support of family promise, with compassion for those whose lives have taken the twists and turns that have led them into homeless situations, put them outside the gate of stable housing, people with beds in homes of their own, chose to sleep in cardboard boxes last night. You've been concerned about local homelessness, and back in May you generously gave over $15,000 to help the Courtney McGinnis Graham Emergency Shelter get started. With the opening just weeks away, you, this church, have recently added to that gift nice kitchen equipment and appliances that were sitting idly out at Choices so that lives can be changed sooner rather than later. This church is changing lives through Epworth Children's Home. We heard about that two weeks ago. This church is changing lives through the ministries of the United Methodist Women. We're celebrating that today. This church is changing lives through a group of women who were here reading Scripture and thinking about what God is calling them to do. And one of the things they heard God say is, take care of my children in this district who are without adequate shelter and nutrition. And so they started doing that. We could go on and on. It's stories like those Bible-studying women that I want to hear. I want to hear how your lives are being changed. Yours and mine. The people that that Lazarus was to be sent to speak to, to go and visit so that they might be changed. The people, the resurrected Jesus is visiting so that lives may be changed, helping others see, helping others have compassion, helping others love. That's what I want to hear. I want to know how Jesus and the church have changed our changing your lives. I'm serious. Email me. Call me. Text me. Don't Facebook me. That's a dead end street. (laughs) Let me know the stories because I am convinced that Jesus is still doing I'm convinced that the poor man raised from the dead who changed the lives of those mournful first disciples into joyful evangelists is still changing ours. I'm convinced that he who enabled those first disciples to speak and live the gospel is still doing that to us. And I'm convinced that one of the ways he does that is through the church. If I thought the church was just another entertaining placeholder. A nice institution that's good to have for the big events in your life. A kind of social hall where the fees aren't required, just requested. I'd be in one of those other forms of change-making in this world. 
And sometimes, I'll confess, I hear their stories, their great statistics. I'll get a little envious. And then I go to a meeting. One of our meetings of, of all things, the kind of thing I inherently resist. And I'll hear y'all start to talk. And you'll say something that is on your heart. And it sounds oh so much like discipleship. Or you'll talk about how you've been comforted by God and His church. And it sounds oh so much like the church affecting your lives in ways that are very faithful to what the church is called to be. Or you'll wrestle again with Jesus' call to turn the other cheek and go the second mile and give to those who can't repay you and and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think Abraham got this one wrong. Maybe it's true that those brothers in the parable wouldn't have been changed. Maybe it's true that other brothers around us won't be changed. But I know. That this man who was raised from the dead is changing lives in and through this church. And I can't help but love hearing those stories. Please tell me. And please keep showing God how he and his church are changing your Thanks be to God for that.